If you're new to Hope Church, we've been going through the Gospel of John verse by verse and line by line, word by word. Last week we left off in chapter 14, verse 11, and today we're picking it up in chapter 14, verse 12. That's just kind of how we do things here at Hope Church. John 14, verse 12. The title for today's message is Another Helper. Another Helper. John 14. Verse 12, I'm going to read down to verse 31. Here's God's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I am. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that the love that I love the Father rise and go from here. I want to draw your attention to verse 16 where Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That's the title for uh, today's uh, message. That that phrase there, another helper, is really important. If we're going to understand what John 14 is all about, we really need to understand what is this other helper? Who is this other helper? Now, in Greek, the word another is the word uh, alos, and helper is parakletos. There's, there's a couple of ways to say another in Greek. There's there's the word heteros, where we would get the idea of, of heterosexual. You know, I, heteros means another of a different kind. I, 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 you know what, I'm fed up with this church. I want to go to another 
church. It's a whole other thing. I want to go to another restaurant where alos is you want to go to something that is the, have something that is the same. It's another of the same kind. Yes, I would like another donut. So you're, when Jesus says that there is a helper coming, it is another helper. It is an alos helper. It is a helper of the same kind. Parakletos means para, to come beside, like a paramedic comes to bring medicine beside someone or medical help. Parakletos, kletos comes from kaleo, which means to be called. A parakletos is someone who is called to come beside. And Jesus says that the Father is going to send another parakletos, another one who is called to come beside. Now, your Bible might say helper. The NIV translates it counselor. The New Living Translation translates it advocate. The, the King James translates it comforter. There's a, a, it's a really difficult word to translate. And it has legal connotations in terms of, of an advocate who would represent you in court. The King James with this comforter language is really close, but it's kind of lost its meaning as the English language has kind of morphed. Comforter really means to give someone strength. You come to bring forte, like a fortress. You come to protect someone, to strengthen someone. But now comforter, you know, it's like a blanket in English language, right? It's like this cozy, that's how some people think about the Spirit. He's just this cozy feeling. No, he's coming to give us strength. He's called to come beside us. But it's interesting that Jesus calls the helper another, another helper, another parakletos. And here's why. Because in 1 John chapter 2, Verse 1, it says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's such an encouraging verse that, that when we sin, when we stumble, we know that we have Christ who is our parakletos, who is called to come beside us. And so when Jesus is talking about the Spirit. Remember, his disciples were so discouraged and so confused because Jesus kept saying that he was going to go. And they couldn't go, they couldn't come with him. That he had to go alone. That he was going to prepare a place. And now he's clarifying to them, well, it's actually good because there is another helper coming. Someone who is, going to, who is called to come beside you, to strengthen you. And to help you. He's called the spirit of truth in verse 17. And then down in verse 26 he's called the helper, the Holy Spirit. And so today's passage is all about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As we are followers of Jesus Christ. He has promised to send us this other helper. And so... Today we're going to see five things that the Holy Spirit brings. Here's the first one. The Holy Spirit brings greater works. Greater works. Going back to the beginning of our passage, verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly. He, he, he had just told them about his own works in, in verse uh, in verse five, he's, or sorry, verse 10, he says, Believe on account of, of my works. 
And now he says, you truly, truly are going to do greater works. Truly, truly. It's, it's literally amen, amen. Jesus said, what I'm saying is true. He's like, for real, for real. I'm, I'm telling you. Listen to what I'm saying. Greater works are going to happen through you. And he hasn't said because the Spirit is coming, but that's, what, that's what's coming in the, in the background. Greater works. It's, but it hinges on those who believe. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. So again, the disciples are confused, they're discouraged, they don't understand why Jesus has to go, and Jesus is starting to comfort them, and he's telling them, it's good that I'm going because you're going to continue the work that I have been doing by the power of the Spirit. You will do the, the works that I do. And I, I love the way the book of Acts begins. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Acts was sort of a, a two-part, a, a part two of, of a, a two-part um, a book that Luke wrote, Pastor Chris read from the Gospel of Luke, which is part one. And then Acts chapter one says, in the first book of Theophilus, re referring to the book of Luke, he says, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And what's being implied is that in the book of Acts, which is part two, it's what Jesus continued to do and teach through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, how did, how, how is it, how could we say that these works were greater? Were they somehow more spectacular? You know, did, did, did we see the disciples walk on water? No, we, we didn't see them do anything more spectacular than that. Did we see them feed 50,000 instead of 5,000? Was it greater in that way? No. But it was greater in many ways. First of all, it was greater geographically. In Acts chapter, chapter 1, again, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Those were the, the three places where Jesus went. He was always going between Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. We followed that as we've gone through the Gospel of John. But then he says, and to the ends of the earth, it was going to be greater works because the works were going to expand further. So the works were going to be greater geographically. The works were going to be greater numerically. I mean, the Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. Peter preached the first sermon. 3,000 people are baptized in one day. Jesus didn't see that kind of work. There was so much confusion about who Jesus was. But once Jesus went to the cross, once he went to the Father, once the Spirit came, there was clarity, there was power. The works were greater and then the works were greater ethnically. Jesus only ever had shared the gospel with, with a, a handful of Greeks and some Samaritans, mostly only Jewish people. But look around this room, greater works, greater influence, coast to coast to the ends of the earth, nation to nation. You see, Jesus wants to continue his works. He has greater works and he wants us to be a part of it. That's why he has sent us his spirit. The verse that we've clinged to uh, as a church family has been Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, according to the power at work within us by his spirit. So it's his spirit that brings greater work. Secondly, the spirit brings answered prayer. The spirit brings answered prayer. 
in verse 13, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, is, is Jesus overselling here? I mean, is he promising a, a, a blank check, but the, the account doesn't actually have that much money in it? How could he say whatever? Look, look at the words, whatever. He's saying anything. But notice what he says in both verses. He does say, he does say whatever, but he also says in my name. He does say, ask anything, but he says, in my name. You see, the question we need to ask ourselves is, would Jesus sign off? Would would he sign off on the request that we are making? Would he write that check? You see, praying in Jesus' name is not a coupon code. Right? You know, you get the, the online sale, Cyber Monday's coming up, you get the little coupon code that you, you type in and you get the extra, you, you know, that, that's not, that we don't just add in Jesus' name at the, the end of our prayer just so that, it, so that we, we get the discount or that we get insurance that it's going, that's not how it works. No, we, we are trying to align our prayers. F.F. Bruce says that a request made in the Son's name, is treated as if the Son made it. So when we pray, we need to be aiming that we would be praying the very things that Jesus would be praying for. You see, when when Jesus says, ask whatever you want in my name, it's not putting the onus on Jesus to do what we want, it's putting the onus on us to pray for what Jesus wants. Truth is, Jesus doesn't always want the same things we want. And so our desire is to, is to aim to know Jesus, to know his heart. You see, prayer is not just simply seeking what we want. No, it's surrendering to what God wants. I want to say that one more time. Prayer is not simply seeking what we want, but surrendering to what God wants in Jesus' name. So tonight, we're going to gather, Lord willing, we'll keep an eye on the weather, we'll keep you posted on social media, but we're supposed to have a big prayer night tonight, a worship and prayer night. And this is an opportunity for us to get close to the heart of God, to seek His face, and to ask that His will would be done, not just seeking, but surrendering, not just requesting, but wrestling. To know what God's heart is. And see, these are the questions we've got to ask ourselves when we're praying. Would Jesus sign off on this? Are the, is my prayer, does it line up with what Jesus desires? And then, will this bring glory to God? Would this bring, see right there in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. These are the things that we need to be asking ourselves as we pray privately, and as we pray together corporately. So the Holy Spirit brings greater works. The Holy Spirit brings answered prayer. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit brings loving obedience. Loving obedience. Some of you are thinking, can those two things even really go together? Well, look at what Jesus says in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And verse 15 is connected to verse 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. It is the helper, it is the Holy Spirit that enables us, fills us with love for the Son and empowers us to be able to obey what the Son has commanded. It gives us loving obedience. You see, there's a, a false dichotomy in our minds between relationship and rules. We often think that those two things are mutually exclusive, that, that no, no, we just want to relate to God. It's not about following his rules, but Jesus here says, no, 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 no. If you want to relate to me, if you want a relationship with, with me, you must follow the rules. A Paul Carter, who's a pastor in uh, Aurelia, Ontario, and a leader in a ministry called the, the Gospel Coalition. He was a, a, a mentor of mine when I was a, when I was a teenager. He says, he says, you know, there's different love languages, you know, physical touch or gifts or quality time. We all know the, the love languages thing. And he says, you know, uh, Jesus' love language is obedience. <laughs> the, the way that we show that we love Jesus is not by raising our hands in worship, it's, it's not by writing a, a check in the offering uh, plate, it's not uh, doing all, it's, it's, it's obedience. To, to love Jesus is to obey him. I love the way Kevin DeYoung sort of sums up the, the problem in our contemporary culture. It, says, it sounds really spiritual to say God is interested in a relationship, not in rules, but it's not biblical. From top to bottom, the Bible is full of commands. They aren't meant to stifle a relationship with God, but to protect it, seal it, and define it. Think about the most important relationships. The deeper the relationship is, the more rules you have. Think, think about marriage. There, 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 there's no relationship that's, that's deeper on planet earth than marriage. And yet you promise when you get married to follow the rules. The, the, the relationship is so precious. You have rules around it. The rules don't define the relationship. But the rules help. Sorry, the, 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 the rules. It, the relationship is not solely based on the rules, but because of the love, you sign up to follow the rules, to play within the boundaries. And if that's true in marriage, then it's true in our relationship with God, loving obedience. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to be able to obey. It says, notice in verse 16, the Spirit will be with you forever. The Spirit will be with us forever. He is like a guarantee. He is like a, he is like a seal, the New Testament tells us. And in the Old Testament, the, the Spirit, you know, in the book of Judges or, or other times in the prophets, the Spirit would come upon certain people at a time and then the Spirit would leave. Not so with the New Testament believers. The Spirit will come and He will be with us forever. Verse 17, he says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is another time where Jesus is talking about a member of the Trinity and he says, you, you know him. And last week there was all this confusion when Jesus said, you, you know the father. And then, and then Thomas is like, well, show us the father. He's like, Jesus, you already know him. Because to know Jesus means that you know the Father. 
And now when Jesus is talking about the Spirit, he says you already know him. Because to know Jesus is to know the Spirit. In verse 18 he says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me. This is most likely talking about the resurrection appearance. Jesus didn't appear to the world. He appeared to his disciples. First to a handful, then to the twelve, then 1 Corinthians 15 says to about 500. But he didn't appear to the whole world. It was only those who believed in him that had the privilege of seeing him raised from the dead. He ends off in verse 19. Because I live, you also will live. Referring to the resurrection. Verse 20 says, In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus wanting this relationship. This relationship between Jesus and the Father, and then us in Jesus, and Jesus in us, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Then he taps into this rules and relationship thing again in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus promises to reveal himself to those who love him and obey him. Jesus said in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, there are some times where we don't feel close to God, where we don't see him working in our life. But Jesus says here, if we love him and if we obey him, he will manifest himself to us. So when we find ourselves in those dry times, our, 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 the first question that we should be asking ourselves is, is there a blatant command in Scripture that I am disobeying right now? Is that the reason why there seems to be a breakdown in my relationship? Not that Jesus has left us, but I'm not seeing him. I'm not seeing him at work in my life. He's not manifesting himself to me. If we're reading the Bible and it's not making sense to us, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, if we're not seeing things clearly in the Scripture, we need to ask ourselves, well, am I obeying what I already know? I want to learn new stuff, but God so often doesn't want to teach us new stuff until we start living the stuff He's already taught us. He doesn't want us to continue to grow as a hypocrite, so He stops teaching us to get our attention so that we would start obeying. Look at verse 21 again. Look at this amazing promise. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Are we obeying God's word? Is loving obedience characterized in our lives? Verse 22 says... Judas, not Iscariot. Man, that would be awkward if your name was Judas, right? I mean, up until that point, there was a whole bunch of people named Judas. Jesus had a brother named Judas. <laughs> and every time, right? Oh, here, here are the disciples. You know, here's Bartholomew, and here's, here's Matthew, and here's John and James, and here's Judas. Not that Judas, okay? And here, like every single time, right? 
Maybe he had a middle name or something that he went with eventually, but you got you to gotta feel for him. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Then Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Again, love and obedience. Loves me, keeps my word. He said it in verse 15. He said it in verse 21. He's saying it again here in verse 23. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So Jesus' answer is that only the people who love and obey will see Jesus. Only those who believe in him will see Jesus. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but is the Father's who sent me. That loving obedience is what enables the Son to be revealed in our lives. So Jesus promises to send the Spirit who gives us greater works, answered prayer, loving obedience, and fourthly, abiding presence. Abiding presence. At the end of verse 23 there, it says that the Father and the Son will make their home with him. Again, we see the Trinity. When Jesus is talking about the Spirit coming to live inside of us. But when he's getting into the detail of what does it mean for the Spirit to live inside of us, Jesus says, well, it's like the Father and the Son are making their home in us. That's why the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. That's why he's called the Spirit of Truth. Jesus had just said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the Spirit of Truth is the Spirit of Jesus. To have the Spirit in you is to have Jesus, the Father, the triune God, living inside of us. It's really interesting that phrase, make our home with him. The, the, the Greek root word is amone. It means a room, a dwelling place, a home. And it's amazing as we study John 14, we didn't have time to do all of John 14 all at once, but as we've broken it into two sections, I don't want us to miss this. At the beginning of John 14, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare amone for you in heaven. In my Father's house, there are many Monet. There's many rooms. And I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to make a Monet for you to be with my Father. And now in 1423, it says, Jesus and the Father want to have a Monet, want to have a home, a room, a dwelling place with us. He's going to prepare a dwelling place. He's going to get heaven ready for us. But he's also getting us ready for heaven. He's gone so that we could go to be with the Father. But in his going, he's making it so that the Father, the Son, the Spirit could be with us. The abiding presence of God. He says in verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Notice how the Spirit is sent by the Father in the name of the Son. There's the Trinity again. The Father, the Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Notice that the Spirit is sent by the Father. But look back at verse 24. The Father also sent the Son. You see, there's this sequence of being sent. The Father sends the Son. He's the first helper. 
And then in the name of the Son, the Father sends another helper, the Holy Spirit. And then you get to the end of the Gospel of John, John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So we have been sent to go and do the greater works. Now that, now that another helper has come. Now that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. And, and as Jesus and the Father by the Spirit are preparing a place inside of us. We have the abiding presence. It says at the end of verse 26 that the Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is why we have the New Testament. Because the Spirit helped John remember everything that Jesus said. In, 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 uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21 it says that the Spirit carried the New Testament authors along. He helped them remember when Peter wrote 1st and 2nd Peter, when John wrote the Gospel of John, when Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew, the Spirit helped them remember all of these things. And then he says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's how John 14 began. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. And now he's saying again, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because I'm giving you my peace. So the Holy Spirit brings greater works, answered prayer, loving, obedience, abiding presence. And because of all of those things, we have heavenly peace. Notice how Jesus describes the kind of peace. It's not as the world gives. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 described this peace as the peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that simply doesn't make sense. This is the kind of peace. Isaiah chapter 9, the great prophecy about Christ that's, that we read at Christmas time. For us, a child is born, a son is given, and he is the Prince of Peace. And he has come to give us his peace. And it's not peace like the world gives. It's not the absence or avoidance of conflict. It's the presence of the triune God. That is where peace comes from. It's not the absence or avoidance of conflict. It is the presence of God. I leave my peace with you. Verse 28, you heard me say, I am going away and I will come to you. He understands that their, their mind is kind of spinning. Jesus is saying he's going, and that he's, but he's coming. And how is it all working? Just, I tried to map it out to make sense of my own mind. So he said he was going. And, and in chapter 13, verse 36, he says, I'm going where I'm going. You can't come. And so he was going to the cross. He was going to the Father. But then he said, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to take you with me. To my father's house. So there's going and there's coming. But Jesus, because he knows the future, he already told him that I'm telling you all these things in advance. There's a couple of other goings and comings as well. There's the, there's the coming of his resurrection that he was going to appear to them in a matter of days. 
And then there was indeed the, the going when he ascended up into heaven. But before the coming on the clouds, when he comes to take us home, he's going to come to be at home in us. That, those are tongues of fire and wind. That's Acts chapter 2 there. So when, when Jesus says, you have heard me say, I am going and, and I will come to you again, he's, because, because he wants us to be comforted, because we have peace, not only do we have the peace that one day he's going to come for us to take us to be with him, we also have peace that he's already come in the spirit to be present here and now. He's here already, although he's here not yet. He, he has come, but he is coming. This is why we can find peace, because our God is so... It would have been enough if he had just said, listen, I got, I got your name written in the book of life. Just try to hold on. I'm coming back. No. On the day of Pentecost, he sent the Spirit to give us peace. So that we could participate in doing greater works. So that we could pray and see our prayers answered as the Spirit reveals to us the Son. We could have the presence of God abiding in us. This is the peace that he wants to give to us. He goes on in verse 28, after saying, I will come to you, he says, If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. What does it mean for Jesus to call the Father greater than I? I mean, all throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has been saying, I and the Father are one. So how, how can they be one? How can, how can the triune, how can they all be equal? But then Jesus say that God is is greater. Well, yes, all throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has been saying, God is my Father, that we are one. I am in the Father, the Father is in me. We've studied all of these passages. But the Gospel of John has also repeatedly said that the Father is the one who sent the Son. Jesus makes reference to that in verse 24. You see, even though there is equality within the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is also still a submission within that equality. That Jesus follows the leadership of the Father. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. Because in, in, the, in the Trinity, there is equality, but there is also submission. In a, a variety of different contexts, we find ourselves in relationships that involve submission in the, in the church or, or in marriage or in our, in our family. And sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to the person, for the person who is supposed to be doing the submitting. And sometimes it's difficult for the person who's supposed to be doing the leading. But Here's what we always need to remember. Whether you find yourself on the submission end or on the leadership end, the, way, the thing that we always need to remember is that there is equality across the board. That just because you happen to be in a leadership role in your home or in church or wherever that may be, or just because you happen to be in a, a role where you are called upon to submit to your leaders or to your husband, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't make you lesser. 
The leader isn't more important. The leader isn't better. The leader is just the leader. Jesus was equal with the Father and yet gladly, joyfully submitted to the Father. And we can gladly and joyfully, humbly lead those who submit to us. And we can gladly and joyfully submit to those who lead us because we understand where our identity comes from. And that we have equality. He says, the Father is greater than I. Verse, and then verse 29, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe all the going and the coming. He predicted all of that. that I'm sure it made no sense to them at the time, but the Spirit was going to help them remember. It was all going to be clear. I'm not sure if they did a hand-drawn diagram like I did, but it all became clear to them eventually. He says, verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. See, there's no peace in this world. Jesus has come to bring peace from heaven. His peace is not like this world, because the world is being ruled by the ruler of this world, which is Satan. If you're hearing all this talk today about Jesus, and you're like, I am not a follower of Jesus, I just follow myself. I don't want to bow before some heavenly king. I'm my own king. I'm my, I'm my own queen. I'm my own ruler. Not true. Sorry. Either Jesus is your king or Satan is your king. No one is personally self-autonomous. It's just choose your ruler. Do you want Jesus to be in charge or do you want Satan to be in charge? He is the ruler of the world. But I love what Jesus says about him. He says, he has no claim on me. The ruler of the world has a claim on all of us because all of us have sinned. But there was no claim on Jesus because Jesus had never sinned. And Jesus went to the cross on our behalf so that we can say, like Jesus said, if you are trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, if you believe that he is the Savior, then you can say, like Jesus just said, Satan has no claim on me because Christ died in my place. If you're here today and you're living following the ruler of this world, that's because, and I'm not, I didn't make this up, I saw this on a bumper sticker or something like that. You have no Jesus in your life and therefore you have no peace in your life. But if you transition from following the ruler of this world to following Jesus Christ, the ruler of heaven and earth, the king of kings and the lord of lords, you can have that abiding presence. You can know what it means to be forgiven. And you just change no Jesus and no peace to you know Jesus and now you know peace. Peace with God, peace uh, in your own heart as he dwells in you. Jesus says in verse 31, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Again, obedience to the commands is an expression of love. Jesus wants it to be true for us. It's also true for him. He loves the Father, therefore he obeys. And then he says, rise, let us go from here. 
And they're just a few hours closer now to Jesus going to the cross. Jesus making it possible for us to know peace by walking right into hostility. Jesus allowing us to know peace because he went right to the cross. He was violently beaten and bruised and scarred, nailed to two pieces of wood, suffered and died for our sin. Jesus experienced no peace on this earth so that we could truly know what peace is in him. Let's bow our heads together and pray. King Jesus Christ, we worship you and praise you that you are so loving and kind that not only have you promised to come to us, Lord, when you ultimately return on the clouds riding on a white horse, but that you have sent your spirit. You have come to us now in the presence of your spirit. Lord, I pray that we would live lives of peace. I pray that we would live lives of power. I pray, Lord, that when we gather as a church to pray, I pray that as we go to work or home on Monday morning, that we would be filled with expectation that Holy Spirit lives inside of me. God dwells in my midst. His power is flowing through my life. And so, Lord, I pray that we would defeat sin and obey your commands. I pray that we would be used by you to share the gospel with those who don't know you. I pray that we would spread this message of peace in such a broken and hostile world. God, thank you for your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.